30 years ago, Bob Dylan wrote a song called Everything is Broken. Here are some of the lyrics. Broken bottles, broken plates, broken switches, broken gates, broken dishes, broken parts, streets are filled with broken hearts, broken words never meant to be spoken, everything is broken. He's right. Whether it's things or people or systems, everything is broken. In fact, I would say that many of us are in this place today because we know how broken we are. Some of you may feel you're so broken that there's no hope. Some of you may feel your brokenness can't possibly be used by God. But the truth is, the Bible is filled with stories of fractured lives and messy, terrible situations. Over the next few weeks, we're going to study some examples of that from the book of Judges. The series is called Broken, How God Uses Defective People. The case in point that we begin with is the infamous strongman, Samson. And from his life, we can use to hear truths about how God works, how God uses even broken people in broken situations. Samson's story begins in Judges 13. That's where we start this morning. Over these next four weeks, uh, we'll follow his story, and then we'll finish out Judges with some other examples as well. But it begins this way, Judges 13, verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. So here we have an entire nation in crisis. God's people Israel have failed spiritually. And they're running after the gods of their neighbors. They're breaking the law of the Lord. And this spiritual failure led to a a social upheaval within the nation itself. And so God allowed the enemy to conquer and, and to oppress them. For 40 years this went on. They were suffering at the hands of the Philistine army. The word again, to start off this verse, reminds us that this has been an historical pattern. In fact, the first dozen chapters of the book of Judges show a repeated cycle that Israel, as God's people, would forget God, and then God would send discipline. The nation would cry out to God for help, and God would send a deliverer, a judge. Uh, This time, it seemed different. Although God sent punishment to his rebellious people, this time they did not cry out for help in any kind of timely fashion. I like what... uh, Dale Davis says about this, he says, it shows how God preserves his people even when they don't give a rip. And that's what happens here. They don't seem to care, but God still is working with his people. Uh, The brokenness isn't just national, though. There's, in verse 2, brokenness on a personal level. A certain man of Zorah, it says, named Manoah from the clan of the Danites, had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. So here we have a couple struggling with infertility. On top of spiritual failure and social upheaval in the nation, here we have a a personal and private pain in this family. Family in turmoil. Manoah and his wife are surrounded by brokenness. For 40 years, they they would know nothing but oppression. And and as we'll learn, uh, they seem to be a godly couple. It doesn't seem to be them who have left the one true God. 
They've also suffered personally, and there seems to be no glimmer of hope for the future. There's no one to carry on the family name. There's no one to help them in their struggle to exist in the middle of this oppression. There's no one to take care of them in their old age. Everything is broken. Let me share with you the causes of some brokenness in our world that we even see exemplified just in these first two verses. Uh, One is brokenness because of the failure of others. The sin that's done to us is the reason for some of the brokenness that you experience. So the single mom who's forced into poverty when her husband left with another woman, she now juggles two part-time jobs trying to keep a roof overhead, trying to keep her family together. Sin done to her. Or the man who's plunged into grief after his wife and son are killed by a drunk driver. Someone else's sin breaks him. The young woman who can't form healthy relationships and struggles with self-worth and depression because she was sexually abused by a family member and no one did anything. No one protected her. No one listened to her. Things done to us cause brokenness. But there's also the brokenness because we live in a fallen world. So those things that happen, the disease, the cancer, the natural disasters, Dorian or, or name one, that come and crush lives and, and cause upheaval, accidents that occur, even evil that is beyond explanation. 1 John 5.19 says that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Jesus talked repeatedly about the evil one, the God of this world, and Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil in this world. So brokenness because we live in a world that's fallen, that's broken because of sin. And then there's brokenness because of my own sinful choices. Is that whatever someone has done to me, or whatever happens around me, there's still the, the fact that, that I can sin, and so there's lies, and, and there's selfishness. There's a porn addiction, or alcohol abuse, or the disintegration of a marriage because uh, you refuse to give in. You refuse to love unconditionally. Or there's this love of gossip, or people-pleasing, or materialism, or jealousy over what other people have, or resentment, or anger, whatever it might be. We, we all fall short, far short of the glory of God. The Bible says there's no one who is righteous, not even one. So yes, everything is broken. There are three reasons why. that There's those kinds of brokennesses that we all experience. But into that wreckage, all three of these, by the way, just seen, exemplified in these first two verses of Judges 13. But into that wreckage, into that brokenness, God enters. Verse 3. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are sterile and childless. By the way, not the most comforting start. But you're going to conceive and have a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean because you will conceive and give birth to a son. So the angel emphasizes the barrenness of this family. The word sterile means to pull up by the roots So in other words, this is not just a fertility problem. The ability to have children did not even exist in this couple. And from a social and economic point of view, childlessness was tragic in the ancient world. 
As the Dictionary of Biblical Imagery says, barrenness is one of the Bible's strongest images of desolation and rejection. And the angel confirms this this dire nature of the condition. He says, you don't have children and you're incapable of having children. But that's all going to change. This is just one of many times that the Bible uses barrenness as a springboard to amazing deliverance and displays of God's incredible power. But uh, even though this, this will answer the personal struggle of Manoah and his wife, from the beginning, God is clear that this birth is far more about more than just one family. Notice the rest of verse 5. No razor may be used on his head, because the boy is to be a Nazarite, set apart to God from birth, and he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So right away we learn that this birth is the answer to the brokenness, not simply of this couple and their, their condition of childlessness, but the answer to the brokenness of the nation. It's often difficult for us to see beyond our own problems. We all have them. Our individual needs often obscure the bigger picture, but realize that if God is sovereign, the things you are going through have a purpose greater than you. Your decisions, your contributions, your experiences have a a wider sphere of impact than your own immediate family, merely. And that God's answer to the brokenness of a nation would come in the form of a baby is characteristic of how God so often works. Because we, as humans, we want immediate answers. We, We want quick solutions. We want dramatic interventions and miracles. And yet God so very often tends to take His time. And he chooses subtle responses. And what is more subtle than a baby, born so fragile, taking time to grow up? This was no instant answer for Israel in their time of need. God was not in a hurry. And he's always on time. Notice the instruction to the woman included avoiding alcohol and unclean food, and that would be smart for any pregnancy. But there's more to it than good prenatal care. This child was to be set apart for God's use. And that would be displayed, the angel used the word Nazarite. This would be displayed by the Nazarite vow. That's a vow that's described in in Numbers chapter 6. And following that Nazarite vow meant that you would ingest nothing connected with grapes that you would never have a haircut, that you would never touch a dead body, not even a family member. However, the only part of the vow the boy is to keep is concerned not cutting his hair. This would be a lifetime sign that that this child had a special purpose. Now before we continue the story, I want to remind you that God always meets us at the point of our inability. That's very important for us to remember. That God enters our hopeless condition just as He did here. A nation is spiraling away from God, dominated by the enemy. A couple is incapable of childbearing. And this story begins with what they could not do. And then it moves to what God would do for them and in them. And that really is the heart of the gospel. Romans 5-6 says that, See, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for us. It says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
See, it's precisely at the point where we realize that we're unable to earn or deserve the salvation and mercy of God. That's when he saves us. It is when we understand that our own resources are insufficient. That's when he supplies. It's when we understand that there are no human solutions. That's when he answers. It's when we finally comprehend that we are weak is when he shows himself to be strong. Salvation only comes to those who know there is no hope other than the cross of Jesus. It's only when you abandon all hope in your own salvation, in your own worth and and deservedness before God, that, that you can come to Christ and receive what He offers. God always works at the point of our inability, our desperation. Now the wrong approach would sound like this. One of the wrong approaches, I know I'm broken. And here's what I'm going to do about it. No, it's God who does it all. And no one is saved who does not throw themselves on the mercy of God alone in Christ. So notice what happens. Verse 6, Then the woman went to her husband and told him, A man of God came to me. He looked like an angel of God. Very awesome. I didn't ask where he came from, and he didn't tell me his name. We're going to hear more about this no name that supernatural figure in a moment, but the other key figure in this story does not have a name. Manoah's wife is simply referred to time and again as the woman. You see, not only does God start with our inability, often in our obscurity as well. Only heaven will reveal the incredible things God has done through the lives of people whose whose names we do not even know. I know the things that I have accomplished in life, and the books and articles published, the awards that have been received, the recognition. Two women have made those achievements possible. My mother, whom you've not met, and my wife, surely. I got to thinking about that as... Back in 2012, a church that we had served for 10 years had their centennial anniversary. And, and leading up to that, there were many things. We were able to take part in the, in the celebration. But uh, one of the things that they did was, was to write articles about the history of the church. And uh, three of those articles were uh, about the time that we had spent there, what God has accomplished. And, and uh, I remember Amy read me those articles. And it was humbling to hear uh, people talk about what God had done and to remember those things that, that were uh, amazing accounts of, of God's goodness and mercy. But what I noticed as she was reading those articles, her name was not mentioned. The, the, it would, it would talk, refer to her as wife or the Bukamas, but her name wasn't mentioned. And I noticed it, I don't know if she did, we got to the end, she got near to the end of the third article, and finally her name was mentioned at one time. And there was a typo, and it was Amy with a small a, not a capital A. Uh, I found that so interesting, I, I wrote an article about it. I could not do what I do without her. And I recognize that the reality, the great movements of God begin behind the scenes so often. That's her gift, behind the scenes. Gift of helps. Begins with the unrecognized, the unnoticed, the uncapitalized. 
That's how God works. Some of, the, some of the people who get all the credit deserve none of it. That's why Jesus said many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And, and Manoah's wife, with no name, is at the center of God's plan. And when she hears what God's plan is, she believes. She identifies this visitor as a man of God. In other words, a prophet, a spokesman of God himself. She recognizes where this message comes from, that it's divine. And she repeats the essence of her encounter to the husband. And Manoah believed his wife. He doesn't doubt her. He doesn't doubt God. Then... Verse 8, then Manoah prayed to the Lord, O Lord, I beg you, let the man of God you sent to us come again to teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. God heard Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman while she was out in the field, but her husband Manoah was not with her. By the way, the word prayed here means to plead, to implore, to beg. And it's a prayer that's marked by simplicity and sincerity and confidence in the Lord himself. And so Manoah gives this straightforward prayer, and God delights to answer it. And the angel of the Lord again appears to Mrs. Manoah, but her husband isn't there. She runs home and says, he's back! And Manoah goes out to meet this mysterious visitor for himself, and he asks the burning question. Uh, Much like every phone call I have with my family and, and I tell Amy, I just talked to my mom. Well, did you say this? Did you lie? No, I forgot to ask that question. I don't know what she said. I don't know what I did. You should have been there so that you could ask the questions that I've neglected to ask. That's how Mr. Manoa felt about his wife, apparently. So, uh, verse 12. And Manoah said, when your words are fulfilled... What is it to be the rule for the boy's life and work? And the angel of the Lord answered, Your wife must do all that I've told her. Now note the faith of this man who doesn't say if your word. He says when. Noah just wants to know how to be obedient. And the angel simply repeats the instructions he'd already given. Your wife needs to do everything I said. And I realize how often we want all the answers when God simply wants us to obey without more information. We want more information. How often we demand of God, tell me everything. I want to know the details of your plan. I want to know what to expect. But his answer is, take the next step I already told you about. For example, God says, forgive the person who wronged you. But you say, well, you don't know this person. I need to know. They're going to feel they got off scot-free, that they got away with it. You want more information. God, how's this going to turn out? Are they going to then understand that they were wrong and apologize? We want more information. Or you're in a relationship that's clearly outside of God's revealed will. It might be a, a, a personal relationship. It might be a business relationship. And you know, this is clearly outside of what God has revealed in the Scriptures. But you think, if I break off this relationship, if I end this deal, then, then what? So I would just ask you to, to consider this morning. Is it possible that there is a next step that God wants you to take and you are not taking it because you want more options, you want more details, you want assurances of how it will turn out? That's not this couple. I'm so impressed that they seem to have faith in the one true God in the midst of all the godlessness around them. They lived right next to the border of the enemy, by the way, and yet they stayed faithful. They seem to have a good marriage. But most impressive is the honest faith that they express. They simply believe and they call on God with their questions. They take God at His word, even when they think it's simply a prophet speaking. God rewards that kind of unvarnished faith. 
As Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith it's impossible to please God. Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently, earnestly seek him. And so that puts us all in a position very similar to Manoah and his wife. We have God's promise declared to us in the apostles and prophets. We have God's promise in Christ. And when we take God at his word and act on it, God is pleased. And even when we do not understand, faith says, I will believe and I will obey because God has spoken. And so Manoah asked the question that his wife did not ask or follow through with the first time, verse 17. He inquired of the angel of the Lord, what is your name so that we may honor you when your word comes true? He replied, why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. So Manoah wants to ask, uh, wants to know who to thank when this occurs. And the angel doesn't say his name's a secret. That's not what it says. He says his name is so wonderful that Manoah could not take it in. His name is amazing. It's extraordinary. It's beyond understanding. The Hebrew root word here is palah, and it's used many times in Scripture to describe God. It's used, I think, most famously in Isaiah 9-6 when it speaks of the Messiah and says, His name shall be called Wonderful. Palah, amazing, beyond understanding. And so this is a good time for us to consider just who is this angel anyway? Is it an actual angel or is it an appearance of God himself? The technical name for that is theophany. Theophany comes from two Greek words, theos, meaning God, and uh, peno, which uh, means appearing, uh, visibility, uh, revealed. So uh, is this God revealing himself in another form? The invisible God revealed in this form of an angel? I believe it is. And Manoah responds by offering worship. He sacrifices a goat and burns it on the altar. And then look what happens. Verse 19. And the Lord did an amazing thing while Manoah and his wife watched. As the flame blazed up from the altar toward heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. And seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell on their faces to the ground. So the God whose name is Wonderful, Paulah, chose to do a wonderful thing, Paulah. Amazing. It's the same word. The amazing God did an amazing thing. And as the flame of the burnt offering rose upward, the angel ascended in that flame. And suddenly Manoah and his wife realized the enormity of the encounter that they're having. They're having an encounter with God. They hit the ground, face down in the dirt. And Manoah, verse 22, says, we're doomed. We've seen God. We're doomed. We're going to die. Manoah panics that God's now going to kill them. His wife is more rational. With a clearer theology, verse 23, she answered, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering or grain offering from our hands, nor shown us all these things, or now told us this. I love how this woman is so focused on the promise of God that she's sure that life is going to go on. She calmly tells her husband, Don't worry, you can't die and fulfill God's promise at the same time. He's made a promise that that requires us to live. And so now the story speeds ahead nine months. Verse 24, the woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. The name Samson means like the sun. Uh, I don't think it means that he had a sunny disposition, although he might have. This is a name of hope. This family was broken. The nation was broken. And into those dark times, the ray of God's light shone. And and as Samson grew up, as he grew taller, uh, he experienced God's blessing. And the Spirit of God began pushing him. The word stir here means to thrust, means to impel. The Spirit is thrusting Samson forward. He's pushing him to use his God-given 
powers God's way. And Samson, by the way, of all the judges, Samson is, is moved by the Spirit more than any other judge. He's a wreck, by the way. We're going to see he has some issues. He has some problems. But the Spirit of God uses him more than any other judge. He seems to have all the advantages, and yet he shows the greatest weaknesses. I think he's an exact replica of the nation of Israel. An awesome beginning filled with the wonder of God and his power, but he has a weakness for foreign lovers. Uh, Samson had all the advantages, yet he's also broken. And this chapter reminds us that as flawed as he was, he was set apart for God's use. And to those of us who are in Christ, we are a chosen people. We are a holy, set-apart people. And yet, like Samson, we don't always live up to that at all. And others may look at us and wonder, who do they think they are anyway? How can they call themselves Christians anyway? But to those of us whose trust is in Christ, God has said, you are my son, you are my daughter, I've set you apart to be mine, and no one can take you out of my hand. So let me just pose for you three questions for broken people. Three questions for broken people. Knowing that everything is broken, what can we learn from this? Uh, First, am I eager to hear from God? Am I eager to hear from God? Manoah and his wife were very receptive to God's Word. And I want to ask you, do you enter a worship service expecting that God might have something to say to you? When you look at the Bible, when you sit down to pray, when you listen to godly conversation, when you receive scriptural teaching, is it with an eagerness that God will speak? Sometimes our brokenness is what gets us to turn our attention to God. Some some of you might be very sensitive to listening to God simply because your lives are so broken at this very moment. Other times we allow our brokenness to be the reason that distracts us from listening to God, from paying attention. And the messiness of life becomes the excuse for not praying, not worshiping, not learning, not seeking after God. Am I eager to hear? Second question, am I willing to obey God? This couple was ready. They believed God was at work in their broken situation, and they only wanted to know what to do. Sometimes we let our brokenness define and limit us. We allow it to excuse our disobedience, and we say, the reason I'm the way I am is because God let this horrible thing happen to me. If God hadn't let this thing happen, if this person hadn't done that, if this injustice hadn't happened, then I would be different. And so we're not willing to do what God asks. And even though He intends to use our brokenness for His glory, We're resistant to obey sometimes. You're in debt, so that's the trouble, but you're not willing to do the work to get your finances in order. You're angry, but you're not willing to let go of the grudge, the hurt that you harbor. You're grieving, but you keep refusing to be comforted in any way. You're desperate, but you're not desperate enough to cast all your cares on God and wait. You're wounded, but you're not willing to forgive. In your brokenness, are you willing to obey God? Third question, am I ready to be amazed by God? Manoah and his wife had an encounter with the Almighty. Their sincere offering is accepted, and they respond by falling down in front of him, before him. And David Jackman writes that... uh, Every real meeting with God must surely bring us all to that same point. In other words, if we really know that we're encountering God, we should be face down in worship and adoration before Him. And along with great joy and praise, there should be awesome reverence as we come before the Lord of the universe. Annie Dillard famously writes, I'll just quote part of this. She says, Why do people in churches seem like cheerful, brainless tourists 
on a packaged tour of the absolute. Does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we so blithely invoke? No, in other words, we're, we're dealing with the God of the universe. How can we be haphazard about that? Uh, worship, in its truest form, is not ordinary or entertaining or indifferent or focused simply horizontally. If, it is, if that is true, then it's not worship. Scripture calls us to a Manoah-like experience. And it says that in Hebrews 12. It says, let us worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Worship comes as I realize that this isn't simply about me. That God deserves the praise and glory. Are you amazed by the God who is amazing? So here's a great truth that I believe God has for us today from this passage. And it's that God wants to use your personal brokenness to set others free. That's what I see here in Manoah and his wife's life. That's what we'll see in the life of Samson. When I met Alan, he had been in law enforcement, really with corrections. And and yet he was very active in our church helping men in crisis. I mean, it just seemed to be known that if, if there was a guy in need of counsel, a guy in need of, of a helping hand, that, that Alan was the one to turn to. He, he was so helpful to guys of every description. Uh, whether they were businessmen or blue collar, if they're struggling with their marriage or, or their kids or just knowing what to do next, he would be there. But he also, for the other end of the spectrum, of guys, ex-cons, sex offenders, uh, drug abusers, alcoholics, Alan was there for them, ministered in incredible ways. I marveled all the time. And especially after so many years dealing with really rough people, and he still was willing to help. I got frustrated at a time or two that I'm thinking particularly of a guy I'll call Daryl, who was a mess, and he just, Alan gave him every opportunity, and Daryl would just keep messing up. Alan would run back to help him. Daryl would mess up again, just in horrible ways. One day I sat down, I said, Alan, I don't see how you do it. I, I would have cut Daryl loose a long time ago. He said, John, I want to tell you, you don't know my, my, my story. He said, I, I grew up in, a, in an abusive home. My dad, whether he was drunk or not drunk, would beat me. And I watched him beat my mom way too many times. He said, here's a guy that, that when there were times that he was nice and I, and I loved him, but, but he was so horrible. And I, I began to hate him. And as soon as I could get out of my home, I got out of my home. And I was a young man filled with rage, hatred, bitterness, a desire for revenge. He said, one day, I had a guy come to me and tell me that I had a heavenly father who loved me. That that regardless of what had happened in my family, that there was a God who loved me so much that he sent Jesus And he said, over the course of time, I put my faith in Christ and became a new creation. And I accepted that Jesus had died for me, died for my sin, and he brought love and forgiveness into my heart that I did not know that it could be possible. 
And then I met my wife, and we established a family together, and I wanted to give my life to helping other guys to, to let them know how they could be free like I was free. And so that's why I stick with guys like Daryl. You see, God can use the brokenness in your life in a great way. How, how does that work? 2 Corinthians says God comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble. So, so think about it this way. Your sacrifice may lead to someone else's blessing. Your loss may be someone else's gain. Your setback may be someone else's insight. Your barrier may be someone else's step stool. Your defeat may lead to someone else's victory. Your painful experience may provide someone else wise counsel. The barrenness of your life may be a prelude to an amazing rebirth. And for that to happen, you need to answer those three questions. Am I eager to hear from God? Am I willing to obey God? Am I ready to be amazed by God? Because God wants to use your personal brokenness to set others free. In this way, the pain in your life is something God can use for His glory and for the good of His church. Everything is broken. Everyone is broken. And into the brokenness of your life, God is preparing to birth an answer. Let's pray. Lord, I can't begin to know the need, the hurt, the pain, the situation of every person here, but you know. And so, Lord, I ask that whatever it is that you want to do in our lives, that, that we would come to you in our neediness, in our desperation, and cry out to you and receive what you have for us. That we are a broken people, but you are the God who makes us whole who takes sinful people and makes them children of the Holy God. We give you thanks and praise for what you accomplish in the name of Jesus. Amen.